pillars this this series. What is church? Why do we do what we do? What is the future of church in America? And we're talking through this week specifically house church. Next week we're going to be talking through our ministry partnerships. Why we do that? The week after that we're going to be talking through our Sunday gatherings and why do we even do this? But this is what I believe. When words get hijacked, it changes everything. When words get hijacked, it changes everything. For example, this is a great illustration. Does anyone know the band Def Leppard? Okay. You know the song, Pour Some Sugar On Me? Pour some sugar on me. Not high enough, but you know that one? Raise your hand. You're familiar with that one? Anyone seen the commercial of the guy that gets it completely wrong? And, and what's he, what he seeing? He says, pour some shook up ramen. Pour some shook up ramen. Okay. When words get hijacked, it changes everything, and you're welcome. For the next time you hear that song, you'll start laughing and think about shook up ramen. And I know college people, you probably don't want to hear about ramen noodles anymore ever again. So there we are. When words get hijacked, it changes everything. And when you begin to look at the, etym- the, the, the root of a word, when you begin to look at that, the origin of a word, and last week, if you were here, we looked at the word church. We looked at how that word came about and how this word was actually hijacked early on. Um, the word in the, in the year 300 A.D., rough, roughly 300 A.D., just a few hundred years after even Jesus walked and the New Testament church was around, this word church was hijacked in translations into the word kirche, which is German, which means the Lord's house or a gathering place. Well, when the church started, it wasn't actually a place. It was about a person, and a community, and a movement of people, and then the word gets hijacked, and we see great uh, hard times in church, persecution, and proud people, and huge, 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 huge buildings as that word was hijacked, and this word ecclesia, now it means place, instead of a people, a movement around some, something, a congregation. Well, luckily, the, the word was then, uh, we got the word back, and now when you read the Bible and you come across the Greek word ekklesia, now it is, has been interpreted as congregation, and that's a better interpretation than a place, because it still involves movement, and it still involves the Lord's people. And so I believe that when you, when you begin studying about the church, you've got to start and look at the root of the word, and you've got to start and look at why we do things. And so when we look at church project. What, wh- why? Why do we exist? We say we're a church. Church project. Church, a gathering of people who love Jesus. And we want to know and love him more. But we're also a project, an ongoing pursuit to discover what Christ originally intended church to be. So we're church project. This is, this is why we exist. We want to be more like Christ. Because as we read scripture, we see nobody, and I don't know one in life that embodies unity and community, like you guys were speaking of, more than the person of Jesus Christ. We want to center our lives around Jesus Christ. In a world that's ever shifting and changing and fads that come and go, there's one thing we can be solid and secure in, and that's the person of Jesus Christ and his word. Amen. So as a church, we want, to, we want to make him the center of all that we do. 
I look at Jesus and his teaching, and I'm reminded of John chapter 17, 21. It's called uh, uh, Jesus' prayer for the church, and it's really Jesus. It's high priestly prayer as he's praying over us. So it's Jesus praying over us in John 17, 21. And this is the beautiful prayer that Jesus prays over you as you sit here, part of his church. And he says this, and he's praying to God. He says that all of them, all of us, his church, his ecclesia, that all of them may be one. And then he continues, Father, remember he's praying to his Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. And Jesus is praying to God and saying, like we are are one, Father, I pray that your ecclesia would be one. Unity, community. And Jesus prays over this. Jesus understands that community is the vehicle of the Trinity. We see the Trinity existing, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all acting and moving in one, in unity, in community, and Jesus understands that. He's part of it, and he begins to pray that over us, that we would be one. Not only that, Jesus came to earth to show us what unity and relationships look like. Like He he knows what it is, but then he came to show us what unity and relationships look like. God leaves the perfect and safe environment of heaven for what? To come down to earth for 30 years to be raised in Nazareth. He knows what perfect unity is, yet he comes and he humbles himself and becomes a man to live on a fallen world for 30 years to show us what community is. I want you, if you would, open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to go through verses 13 through 22. If you have a blue Bible, it's on page 558. 558, Matthew chapter 4, verses 13 through 21. All right, let me read it. Here we go. Matthew 4, starting in verse 13. Leaving Nazareth, and we're talking about Jesus here. So when Jesus left Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. Naphtali, we'll say that. To fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah in verse 15. Land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness, have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. In verse 18, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Verse 21. Going on from here, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their, fa- with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. 
God who is experiencing Jesus, that's experiencing unity and community in heaven, humbles himself, becomes a servant to even us, and shows us how, what unity and community looks like. And here we begin to see Jesus being sent out from Nazareth. He's sent out from Nazareth where he's grown up and he moves to Capernaum. And we see this in this chapter and in these verses right here. And for three and a half years, the next three and a half years of Jesus' life, he lives with Peter and with Peter's mother-in-law and possibly other disciples. We see Jesus leaving Nazareth to go to Capernaum to live in community with Peter and Peter's mother-in-law. Side note, this is a freebie, okay? I just thought this was kind of cool. The word Messiah, or the Messiah, Jesus, is called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Isn't that beautiful? And in Isaiah 7 and Matthew 1, it it shows this beautiful picture of Jesus' birth. And it says, this is the, we'll call him Emmanuel, means God with us. Look how Jesus, he didn't come and say, I am God. You're over there and I'm here. I am God. You stay over there, and I'm going to stay here. He said, I am going to be with you. You can call me Emmanuel. I am with you, God with us. And so as Jesus, the perfect man, walks by, he sees fishermen, and he says, come be with me. Come follow me. Come learn how to do community with me. Come live life with me for the next three and a half years. Jesus, as we read the narrative of Jesus and the life of Jesus in the Bible, we see that Jesus loved Peter. He invited him into his life, and he even knew, Jesus even knew that at the beginning of the invitation, that Peter was going to hurt him. Yet he still invites him, come live with me. Come, let's let's eat together. Come, let's pray together. Come, let's sleep in the same place together. Let's do life together. Let's fight together. Let's work together. Peter. Peter was the one that walked on water. Imagine the three and a half years of this life of Peter walking intimately with Jesus. He walks on water. And Jesus, in one of the, in one of the most beautiful places in the, in the time of the Bible for me, is the Mount Transfiguration. And Jesus, what does he do? He invites Peter up to go with him. This is the same Peter that passionately, when Jesus was about to get arrested, just whips and cuts off the ear of a high priest's servant as he comes. Like, passionate Peter. This is the guy that also, just moments later, denies Christ three times. I don't even know the man. This is the same man that just a few, few after, after denying Christ, Jesus knows that he needs to be restored. And Jesus returns to find Peter on a beach, and says, Peter, though you've denied me, I love you. I want to have breakfast with you. It's about relationship. It's about community. I don't know about you, but if I was God, I think if I'm walking by the boat and I see Peter, I just go, anyone else? That dude's going to betray me. But I'm going to pour all my life into him. And we're going to do life together. The ups and downs, the highs and the lows. The only way Jesus could live out his calling and purpose on earth was to live in community with people. The only way he could teach them about God was by living with them and showing them 
his father. Yet many of us say, I don't like living with people because they frustrate me. They drop the ball. They betray me. So, we circle up our wagons to live life with just a handful of people that look just like me. I thank God that Jesus didn't do that. I thank God that as he walked by Peter, he recognized it was going to be a painful and a hard relationship, but he was all in. And he was all in because he knew what unity and he knew what community looked like. And he came to earth to usher that into us. Imagine how frustrated Jesus, the perfect God, felt living with broken humans. Man, you're not getting it. Imagine how frustrated he felt. This is the part of my job that I absolutely love. That was super sarcastic. One of the things that I'm called to do as, as a teacher is to encourage, to teach, to highlight. But one of the things I'm called to do as a pastor and teacher as well is to rebuke. And I have a rebuke for some of us today. It comes with love. It comes from a place of gentleness and hope, knowing that we're all on a journey to do life together. We're all in different places. But I have a rebuke for us. Some of us have given up on community. There's a major problem with that. It's our pride. Our pride. We think maybe we don't need it or that we can do do it better than Jesus did. To put it bluntly, Jesus lived in community, in the Trinity. Then he came to earth to live in community. And he put himself in a group of people that did not have it all together. He came to do life with betrayers, gossipers, haters, liars, cheaters. And he did it willingly. Yet some of us say, I don't have the time for that, or I don't want that, or I'm not into that. And we don't want to do it like Jesus did. Some of my darkest times in life that I can think back on, some of my darkest times in life was when I was disconnected from a godly community. I look back and I go, wow, how did I derail so fast? Well, duh. I was disconnected from a godly community. And and it's not long before we're disconnected from the godly community that we begin living like the world and looking like everyone else. Church, here's my subtle, lovely rebuke. That's not so subtle. We need to be in community together. Jesus modeled it. He did it. He showed it to us. And we know that when we're disconnected from this, and when we're disconnected from each other and house churches, it's not long until we look like everyone else and we're in the darkest place we've ever been in our life. We need to do this together. We're a church, part of a movement around a mission, a love message of Jesus Christ, and we need each other to do this. It's amazing to me that we can call ourselves devoted followers of Christ and live life apart from community. 
We can say, I, I don't do house church. Yet through our scripture, we see Jesus doing house church. Some will say my schedule doesn't allow me to attend house churches, the times and locations. Okay, I get that. <laughs> Not everyone can attend the few that we have right now because of schedule and working. Okay, I, I, I get that. My question for you then is, well, when do you gather with Christ followers? This doesn't necessarily count. Like, this is a great monologue. But when do you sit with a dialogue with Christ followers? When you intimately involve in relationships through the highest and the lowest, if not part of our structured house church, when do you do it? It's not a matter when I read scripture of if or should we. It's a matter of are we. Jesus did it. I, I would say this. Don't wait for church project to get it just right for you until you can attend a house church. Align your life with Christ in this area. It's not up to church project to do this for you. As followers of Christ, devoted disciples of Christ, you need to be intimately involved in community. I know there's pain. I know there will be pain. I know you will be betrayed. And I know it will hurt. Some of my deepest hurts come from within the church but we got to stick to it. Jesus did. Let's look at verse 14 here. Jesus comes in this way, says, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Jesus chose to live with people to fulfill making disciples. He was purposed in doing this. One of the things that makes me sad when I look at, at, at Church Project, us specifically, as we're coming up onto five years, the bigger we get, the easier it is to just come and sit. To, to not really be known. Not, not being serious about community. Some of my favorite times of Church Project is, is thinking back on the early days. And we had an event, I know it was cheesy, but it was cool, called Crepes and, Crepes and Croquet. Is that what we call it? It was cheesy, but I wanted to eat crepes, and so I figured out a way to do it with other people. <laughs> and it was at our house, just a handful of people. That's all we had. Literally, our church project was meeting in our home. Talk about awkward. Like, that's it. There was no, none of this. And we had an event called Crepes and Croquet, and it was a lot of fun. And I got, I got probably diabetes that day. But <laughs> I think back to some of my earliest times, and... A handful of people intimately around each other, sitting and talking. Some of my favorite times is sitting and talking with you, just with no restriction of time, over a fire pit or whatever it may be, like we're doing life together. As we grow, it's easier just to come in, sit in a dark corner, and disappear. And if that's the only thing you can do right now, I'm so pumped you're here. God loves you, I want to tell you that. Regardless of what you've done, how you've amounted up, or how you failed, or whether you think you're worth it or not, God completely loves you, and he's not giving up on you. So I would say this, don't give up on the church, and if the best you can do is come on Sundays, come on Sundays. But I believe what's going to happen is when you do that, the word's going to come alive in you. And when it comes alive in you, you're going to want to align your life more like Jesus did, and you're going to find yourself desiring house church making it a priority to be part of an intimate community like Jesus did. 
So why house church? I think it's pretty simple because Jesus did. I really could have made this a short message. I want to fly through some scriptures now together. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 1. No. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 14. Only the first half of that verse. For you, brothers and sisters, become imitators of God's church in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. Why house church? Because we're imitating Jesus. And that's the prayer, is that we would imitate Jesus, just like it says in 1 Thessalonians. The early church gathered by the thousands, and the early church also gathered by the dozens. Thousands of people came together as the disciples taught, and then they went away daily into homes. And so I'm going to start flying through some verses, open it up to the, the book of Acts, chapter 5, verse 42. And I apologize if I'm going fast with the verses. You can maybe just write them down and look them up later. But we're going to go through some verses. I I really definitely want to back up what we're saying today with Scripture. So you know it's not just our, our cute little structure of how we do church, but it's us really trying to imitate what Jesus did in his life. So Acts chapter 5, verse 42. Day after day, speaking of the early church, They met in the temple courts and from house to house. They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is Messiah. Colossians 4.15 Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and in Nympha and the church in her house. Colossians, oh wait, I just said that one. Romans 16.5, greet also the church that meets at their house. Philemon 1, verse 2, also to Aphia and the sisters of Archippus. Man, I, I, I destroy these words. I, I used to announce for, for UNC wrestling team, and every time a name came up, I'm like, I would just blur it. John Bruce from Nibola, because I'm like, forget it, I'm going to announce it. So let, oh, let's, get, let's get back to Philemon 1-2. These people are fellow soldiers and to the church that meets in your home. Like, this is why we do house church. It was done this way. They met in the thousands, in the temple courts as the disciples taught this. And they met in homes daily, studying scripture, doing community together. And... We also here at Church Project use the, this actual biblical nomenclature. It's, it's in the Bible. House church. That's why we call it house church. They met in their house. The church met in their house. This is the biblical nomenclature. And using biblical words to describe what we're doing here is super important. Now, that's not saying there's other churches that, that say small groups. And that's okay. We choose to use this word, house church, it doesn't make others wrong. It just really it lines us up with the way it's being done here in Scripture, just the nomenclature of it. But there's subtle things we already talked about. You want to hijack uh, or you want to run a society, hijack their language. And there's subtle things that can happen. If we call it just a small group, then what is that? It gives a mentality that it's just a group. And, it, and it's not just a group, like, it's a church, it's a gathering of people around a movement. It's a house church, a gathering of people around a movement. And so we use the biblical nomenclature, house church. 
We also use the, the biblical nomenclature pastor. House church pastors run our house churches. And, and that's found in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. And this is what it says. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer. Talking about the leadership of the church. Be shepherds of the church in which God, which he's brought or bought with his own blood. And so we use the word house church, pastor, because they're shepherds, overseers. This is what God has called them to do. Early on in starting church projects, so five years ago, uh, people would say, you can't call them house church pastors. Call them leaders or something like that. But you can't call them house church pastors. And I'd say, why not? And people would say, well, when you say pastor, they think of someone who, do, who does what you do. As Aaron Havens, I'm the pastor of Church Project. And I said, exactly. Exactly. That's why we're going to call people, our leaders, house church pastors. It's not just my job. We are the church. I just happen to be leading and teaching today because that's what God has gifted me to do. So when you think of pastor, we should think house church pastors. They look like what I do. They look like what our house churches are doing. Exactly. It takes all of us moving together. I thank God that Jesus shared the responsibility of the church with people. If Jesus stayed and he never equipped the 12 disciples and never equipped people, what would the church look like? Could you call that a movement, or would you call that a dictatorship? I thank God that Jesus shared the church with us. He invited us into this movement. Well, the other reason we call them house church pastors is that all our house church pastors meets the biblical um, uh, qualifications found in scripture to be a a shepherd and overseer and I would say this if they're not worthy of being a pastor they should not have the leadership of that anyways so that's why we call them house church pastors what happens in a house church maybe you're asking that question what happens in a house church I'll tell you this people care for each other I mean, we can elaborate on that, we can go deeper on that, and and we can put God in the center of that, but hopefully you know that is the center of everything that we do, Jesus Christ. But I'll say this, what happens? People care for each other. Uh, It's beautiful when you're in a small group of people at a house church and you're talking and needs come up, financial needs come up. And I've seen people give financially to others in a house church. It's neat when emotional needs come up, that happens all the time. To be supported in your emotions, your highs and your lows and how you're going through life. That's important. We're supporting each other. I've actually seen um, physical things happen as well. And this is my least favorite of all. Because I warn you, one of the downsides of being part of a house church is you have to move people. Hey, I'm moving. I got a truck. Can you help me? Yay. (laughs) I'm getting old. In fact, last time, I think I I was like, can I give you a hundred bucks to hire somebody? Like... This ain't working like it used to, but it is true. We share life, we do life together, and we move people too. When life happens, and when it falls apart, we need people there for us and with us. Sometimes life is really hard. Some of us, we feel like we're on our last thread as we sit here today, right, right now. 
What we need to realize, and we can't anticipate when and how it's going to happen, but we need community to make it through this life with us. For the hard things, for the good things. Jesus lived his life to show us the importance of doing life together in house churches and the temple courts and meeting in houses daily. House church is more than friends, it's a family. You can come in here every week and it's, and it's possible for people not to know who you are as you, as you sit here. I encounter people often as a pastor that will come and visit Church Project or meet me in the community, and some of them are bitter at churches. I understand a lot of it, but some of them are bitter at churches, and sometimes people will talk about other churches in, in town, and they'll say, oh, well, that church was too big for me. And I'll ask, well, what part of the community were you? Not really. Well, already at Church Project, if you're not part of a community, you can get bitter at church and say it's too big because you're not known. You're not intimately part of a community here. It's like doing this, it's like going to Chick-fil-A, sitting down and waiting for someone to bring the food. It's just not going to happen. We see it in the Bible. Jesus lived it out. And the question is, church, are we going to align our lives with it? No one's just going to bring you the food. We follow Christ into community, and we tell people to come with us, just like Jesus called the disciples, to come with me. Come live life with me. As we follow Christ, we invite people into that community with us. I can't give a better case for house church than I did right now. I hope and I pray that God is is really working on all of our hearts, but I do want to do a couple things. I want to introduce our house church pastors that we have. I already introduced Jason and Rachel. They're directing this whole thing, but I want to introduce Jared and Shannon Ashida. If you guys will stand uh, in the back, and we have Ryan and Trina Doherty. I don't know if Trina is here right here, um, and we have Jeff and, Javid, or, or Jeff and Ginger Davidson, Davidson. they, they are, are um, a very new house church that actually begins this week meeting at their house, and so church, I, I, I want to, if you would, if you guys can all stand again, can we honor them for being here and for leading us in this manner? Here's the technical part of it. If you're not part of a house church, you can look on our website. It'll t- tell you when and where you can contact them. But I'm also going to ask these, these men and women to come up here because we want to pray over you as a church. And so if you can come over here, uh, come up here, we want to pray for you. But I, I also, I want to be a, a people, a church that moves together and is deeply rooted in prayer. The last couple of weeks, God's been doing something with prayer at Church Project. And I don't expect it to slow down. I think God's going to continue to do some incredible things. One of the things that I planned this morning was our youth pastor, Jared Nelson. Um, his back is severely hurt right now. And I was going to have him come up and we were going to pray over him. But literally he sent me a text saying, I can't even get out of bed this morning. And so we're, I would like us to pray over him as well. But church, this is what I want us to do. Before I invite the house church pastors to come up, uh, I would like you to close your Bible. And I think this is a beautiful time where God can intimately speak to you. I don't know what God's been showing you and teaching you in this place. But I do know this. He loves you deeply.
He loves you just where you're at. Everything that you've experienced and been through, he loves you. He's got a good plan for you. Beautiful plan. He has hope for you. Your future is bright. As you focus on Jesus, he makes you more like himself. Don't give up. Don't give up chasing after God and believing in who he is and his word. Don't give up on the church, the ecclesia. Don't give up on having a soft heart and letting God mold you to be more like himself. So I'm going to ask us in this place for each of us just to spend some quiet time in prayer. If you would hold your hands out in front of you and with the palms up in just a submissive state, just say, God, in this place, I give you my life. And God, I also receive anything you want to show me. Satan's trying to lie to me, tell me how I don't amount to anything. How I'm not worth it, I'm not worthy. And those are the lies of Satan. Those are the aliases that the world's speaking over me. God, in this place, would you show me who I am in you? Maybe some of us in this room, we've never given control of our life to Christ. What a beautiful moment that we have the opportunity, even in this morning, maybe for the first time, just to recognize we've been living life on our terms and our way, with pride leading us, almost serving us more than God. In this place, we have the opportunity to say, God, let my life be yours. Mold me to look more like you. I give you control of my life, God. God, I need you in my life. In the areas where my life isn't lining up with you, God, I deeply confess. I say, God, forgive me of these areas. Remove them from me. Make me more like you, God.